for this morning. I'm going to start out with a few introductory thoughts, and then I'm going to drill down a little bit into the whole mystery of this experience of the cross, and then I hope to finish up with um, uh, a way of what that looks like, how that gets embodied in life. I don't normally give you the full program before I start on, on where this is headed. I just do that because this is such a this is such an overwhelming, if not huge, topic. Um, I don't want us to get lost in the uh, in, in in the weeds of it all, in the in in the mystery of it all, and so I just give you a heads up as to where I'm going. Um, if you've ever traveled on I-40 out west, all the way through California, at least you've gone through the flatlands of Texas. Uh, you may have seen what's called, I think it's called the Groom Cross. Anybody ever see the Groom Cross? It is a cross that you can see for miles and miles and miles. Huge. I don't know how tall it is, but it's stories tall. If you've ever traveled to Indiana on I-70 and you cross from Ohio into Indiana, right there under the arch, and then you go into Richmond, Indiana... On your right is what's called the Miracle Cross. Uh, you've seen it, Quinn, have you? Okay. You know which one I'm talking about. Big cross that sits right there um, overlooking the interstate. Uh, I think that cross was put up in 2010. Ironically, the church shut down in 2016. But there's still a cross there, a Miracle Cross, that, that stands out to everybody. So I say all that to say, as I, as I shared last week, the cross is a very central central part of our faith and our experience and the spiritual journey. Um, one author, Marcus Borg, talks about the early Christian movement when he says, they saw the cross as a symbol of the way. It embodies the way, the path of transformation, the way to be born again. The cross is the central symbol of Christianity. It points to the process at the heart of the Christian life, dying and rising with Christ being raised to newness of life, being born again in Christ, in the Spirit. It is no wonder, and yet it is, that Paul vowed to preach nothing but Christ crucified. So down through history, down through ages, the cross has stood to us as the central symbol of faith, of Christianity. And yet it can be very misunderstood. It's a symbol for some, a symbol for hate. Uh, Hate groups, white supremacy groups have as their main symbol, the cross. And so it gets misused. It can be seen as a simple piece of jewelry, which is fine. We wear it around our neck as a pin. Um, Sometimes we have it as a tattoo. But often as a last resort, if we don't understand the cross and Christ's death on the cross, we reduce it to a belief system. We reduce the mystery maybe to a set of beliefs. We try to systematize it because in that way we think we'll master it and we put it into a formula. I was having a conversation with someone a few years ago, and ironically, it was while we were in conversation, or I was working with a group that was having a conflict or a fight, if you will, over the cross, over the atonement theories. And this person said to me, he says, if we could just all accept the theory of the atonement, everything would finally be fixed. And I said, okay, I agree with that, but I would like to know one thing. Which of the seven theories do we choose? And he looked at me, and I wasn't trying to one-up him. I was just simply saying, that's the tough part about it. 
That's what's happened is we have taken something that is a mystery, something that is yet beautiful but yet scandalous, something that is yet revolutionary but yet so misunderstood. We have taken it, we have tried to systematize it, and now we have seven theories, and we fight over all those theories. And ironically, the one thing that is to unite heaven and earth is the one thing that has also divided many people and divided many groups. So the cross, the event called the crucifixion, is this experience to indwell rather than this event to explain. The Apostle Paul experienced it as this transformative encounter which redefined his identity. It literally redefined the trajectory of his life. The cross is something that we are called to embrace rather than just admire. But that's the whole catch that I find from myself. What does it mean to embrace it? This is where Paul becomes hopeful for me. The passage that Dan read, Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And I shared last week how this had become a, very much a marker verse for me early on in my pastoral ministry. The very first church I pastored, as I was sort of slogging through my list one day, as I was making visits, as I was showing up at one person's bed in a nursing home, and they couldn't communicate with me, and I couldn't communicate with them because she was just, just totally, in many ways, comatose. And I thought, what a waste of time. What am I doing here? I can't figure out what this all means. And then I heard this verse, and when I say here, you know what I mean. I heard it deep in my soul. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness of God's Son who loved me and gave himself for me. And at least for me in that moment, I realized this isn't me sitting here. It is me, but I embody something much more mysterious and wonderful. I embody the presence of Christ. Christ is here in this place with this person, with me and Lydia. And it's not me listening to her and being present. It's the living Christ. Which really relieved me of a lot of things because I didn't feel like I had to say anything. I just sat there and I said, Lydia, here's Jesus. What do you and him need to talk about? And I just embodied in that moment as best as I could the presence of Christ. So for Paul, his encounter with the crucifixion of Christ was such that he not only identified inwardly with this crucifixion, but he was transformed in such a way that he now identified with the person of the living Christ. Christ now lives in him. The life of Christ, the way of Christ, was present and living through him. And this is how Paul wrestles as he, as he struggles to how to indwell this central event in his life how to indwell this cross, the crucifixion, as Quakers often call it, this inward cross. That's why, again, I say many times, you don't see any symbols on our wall here. It's not because Quakers don't like symbols necessarily. It's because we encourage people to move beyond the outward symbol, be it an outward cross, and to embrace this inward transformative event called the cross and the crucifixion. Now, one of the two places that you'll see this show up in Paul's letters of how to embrace this reality called the cross, one is Philippians. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. 
and becoming like human beings, when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, for Paul, Jesus' journey to the cross was one in which Paul's language, he emptied himself of all entitlements, of all rights, and in humility he gave himself over for others, in this case, the whole world. And if there's any question as to what this would look like in our lives, and by the way, this is always the thing I love about Paul, he does not let us off the hook. He does not let us theorize. If there's any question as to what this looks like, Paul has this to say. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way. Have the same love. Be united. Agree with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of each other as, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Let me back up just a few sentences in, in those bundle of verses. How would my week look different if I made a commitment on Monday to say, this week I'm going to empty myself of myself? And by the way, you see this coming, so I know it's got to be said. If you've got to empty yourself, it's probably because you're pretty much full of yourself. And that's what I have to be aware of at times. So if I were to empty myself at the beginning of the week, what would it look like if I did not do anything out of selfish purposes, but I thought of everybody as better than myself, and instead of watching out for my own good, I watched out for the better and the good of others? It's a game changer. But this is what Paul understood when he is crucified with Christ. He literally is saying, I have this new identity, this new way of being in which I empty myself of all my rights, all of my entitlements, and I look instead to what is good for others. In other words, life is less about my individual rights. It's more about what is good for the common good in my life and in my fellowship, in our friendships, wherever that might be. Emptying ourselves for the good of the other becomes a way of life that shows up in our everyday life, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and even the strangers. And this is why Paul is so profound. He never lets us get theoretical about this. This is what it means to be crucified with Christ, to live a life in which Christ indwells you and I. What would our relationships look like if we emptied ourselves of our own needs and wants, our own arrogance, our own pride, our own self-absorption? What would it look like if we emptied ourselves of anything that we felt entitled to and we began to look for the good of others? I don't know what that looks like for us. I have enough of a challenge wondering what that looks like for me and making those choices and making those decisions and living out of that. This is what it means to be crucified with Christ. But the cross is much more. The cross is where Christ takes away our sin and it transforms it. And how it transforms it, it takes it, it, Christ takes it inside of him and doesn't give it back, but transforms it into something else for our world. Now, that takes a little bit thinking through. And I've struggled for metaphors. I've struggled for images to try to help give a picture of what this looks like. So when you struggle, you go to someone else who probably puts it a little bit better than you do. So here's what I want to offer you. I want to offer you this image from a fellow by the name of Ronald Rollheiser. 
And he wrote a little book called The Passion and the Cross. And he uses the image of a water filter. I know that sounds kind of strange, but he uses the image of a water filter to help us understand what it looks like for this whole experience of living the crucified life. This whole experience of embracing this transformative process of the cross inwardly. He gives us this image of what it looks like when Christ takes in our sin. Christ absorbs our sin and the sin of the world and gives it back as something else. So let me share this with you, and I hope this will be helpful. What Jesus did in his death, in the way he died in love, is analogous to what a water filter does. It takes in water that contains impurities, dirt, toxins, and occasional poisons. And the filter does not simply let the water flow through it. Rather, the water filter holds the dirt and the toxins inside of itself and gives back only the pure water. In simple language, Jesus took away the sin of the world by taking in hatred and giving back love. By taking in anger and giving out graciousness, by taking in envy and giving back blessings, by taking in bitterness and giving out warmth, by taking in pettiness and giving back compassion, by taking in chaos and giving back peace, by taking in sin and giving back forgiveness. You see, in essence, what Ronald Rollheiser says is that Jesus' death took away sin by absorbing the world's sin, the sin of the human condition, the sin of the world, our sin, and, and manifested this at the crucifixion, and his love filtered out, if you will, all the toxins of the world and gave back the purity of forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is what he then adds, and I'll finish with this. What is most important here, that this is not something we're asked simply to admire. We're asked to imitate it to do it in our lives, what Jesus did. We're asked to go into our families, our communities, our churches, our society, where always there is tension, and we are to become the shock absorbers and the water filters that absorb the sin, and we don't give it back. Our task is to help take away the sins of the world. We do this whenever we take in hatred, whenever we take in anger, envy, pettiness, and bitterness, and we hold them, and we transform them, and eventually we give them back as love as graciousness, as blessing, as compassion, as warmth and forgiveness. Whenever we do this, the Lamb of God is still taking away the sins of the world thousands of years later. We literally embrace the inward cross. We literally embrace what Christ has done for us. And what Christ has done for me is He's taken in all of my impurities, all of my bent to pride, all of my arrogance, all of my wayward ways, my sin, and he gives it back. And then he says, now, Scott, I want you to give it back to the world as something else. And this isn't easy. It's not easy in which we often want to get the last word. We want to match anger for anger. If someone hits us, we want to hit them back. The bottom line is we're not transforming anything. We're simply acting as conduits, and we're passing back the same energy and toxins that have been pressed upon us. Rather, Jesus took it, he held it, he carried it, he transformed it, and eventually he gave it back as something else. And this is the sacrificial part of his love. And it's the sacrificial part of our love as well. You know how hard this is. It's easier to preach than to practice. It's easier to, for me to talk about it than 
than to lash out at someone or to get back at someone or, or to not forgive someone or to withhold from someone or to isolate someone. It's easier to do that. But then I'm just giving back what the world gives to us and I'm not transforming anything. And I'm not living in that transformation that Christ has done for me. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And elsewhere, Paul wrote, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. In all of this, we're invited to do more than just admire the cross. We're invited to live it, to experience that inward transformative power of the cross and to live it in relationship to the world. You see, for me, when I came up on this understanding that I just shared with you as the cross explained by our friend Ronald Roland Rollheiser, I came to this better and deeper understanding, at least for me, what it meant to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Now, I used to think that this meant a life that I would hate, that this would be a life I would despise. If I'm going to take up the cross, then it's not going to be fun. I'm going to hate this. It's going to be a drudgery. And yes, it probably will be challenging. At times, I will be asked to sacrifice. But what I, what I began to learn, that it truly is the way to abundance, the way to freedom. For when I take up my cross in the way that Jesus did and I follow, that I truly am living in freedom. I'm free from retaliating in like manner. I'm free from revenge. I'm free from getting back at someone in the same way they got me. I'm free from wanting to wound others in the same way they wounded me. I'm free from giving back arrogantly in the same way someone has been arrogant with me. I am free. And is that not the ultimate goal of the cross? and the crucifixion, to set us free. Free from our own sin and our own toxins, and free to transform this world and to give it back something differently, the love of Christ. I shared with you, I was going to share a story about how this gets embodied and gets incarnated. And i got to tell you, it's not a flashy story. It's just something that came to me in the last couple days. One of our own members. He's actually not here, which makes it a little bit easier because I didn't want to embarrass him. But I thought about what does it mean to empty and absorb? And this is the cycle I think that Jesus offers us. Empty and absorb. Empty and absorb. He emptied himself and he absorbed the world's pain. He emptied himself and he absorbed the world's sin. We empty ourselves and we absorb everything the world offers and we give it back in a different way. And the person that I thought about was our friend Phil Beck. Because as I've watched this man over the last year, two, three, four years, and I'm just using one example. There's probably plenty more. But I've watched this man simply empty himself for the benefit of his wife, for the benefit of Norma. Just empty himself day in, care for her, cook for her, carry her to the hospital, carry her to the doctor, be there at the hospital, be there wherever she needs and whatever she needs, I say to myself, this really is not flashy. We empty ourselves by simply being there for people, and we empty ourselves of all of our own rights, and we are there for those in our life that need us most. And he absorbs all of her frustration. He absorbs all of her sadness. He absorbs everything at this moment in their marriage that she struggles with and that she wrestles with. He absorbs all that. And he just gives it back in commitment and devotion and presence and a stability that I have not seen in a long time. 
See, that's where it shows up. You can find a cross on the highways of Texas. You'll find a big cross on I-70 in Richmond, Indiana. But it shows up in that kind of devotion and sacrificial love of people who empty themselves and will give back to the world something else than what it offers.